0: Maybe this question has crossed your mind. Can God speak to me today through a vision in Revelation? He certainly can. But let me warn you, the vision in Revelation will not be outside of what has been received in the Word of God. God is not adding to the Scripture. He's not leading you to add to the Scripture. It's If your vision contradicts the Scripture, like, for example, a very large cult came uh, has come to be because the, the, the guy said that he got a vision from an angel. You know, you can get wrong visions. You can eat pizza before you go to bed.
1: This is amazing grace. Many of us have wondered what heaven is going to be like, and Scripture gives us just enough to whet our appetite. But imagine what it would be like to be taken on up to heaven for a look around, but not being able to tell others about it. Such was the case for the Apostle Paul, and we'll hear about this experience in just a moment as we turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. It's a ministry of Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora. So if you're ready, let's hear
0: all about Paul's visit to heaven. Going back from chapter 12 to chapter 11, by way of review, remember that Paul is, well, he believes this part of his letter is a little foolish. I don't know if you've ever been put on the spot like that where you've been put into a corner, things have been said about you, things have been believed about you, and you feel you're in a corner and you just go, man, I shouldn't even have to say this. I shouldn't have to explain it this way. And Paul is very direct as he says in verse 1, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. It it seems foolish to him. Indeed, you do bear with me. And again, in verse 16 of chapter 11, I say again, Let no one think me a fool, but even if, at least if you do, receive me as a fool that I can boast a little. Now, he's not boasting in the sense that we we might see that as bragging, But it may sound that way as he walks us down a path of his life. He gives us insight to his life, both to remind the church and those that had a relationship with him of who he is and the time that they spent, but also as an answer to the critics, an answer to the false teachers. Those of you that have been with us, we've walked along, Paul, now in this pastoral letter for many, many weeks now. And he's instructive and and also he even has to defend himself in this calling and his relationship with them. And so to defend his position as a spiritual leader before them, also to remind them of his true love, he talks about his personal life in Jesus and the glorious things that he's been a part of. And he defended himself in verse 22, as you recall. He said, Dave, hey, are the Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. And he went through his, what we called his spiritual resume of all the things that he went through and all of the difficulties and all of the hardships. And then in verse 28, he said, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches, who's weak, I'm not weak, who's made to stumble and I don't burn with indignation. If I must boast, I'll boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison. He wanted to arrest me, verse 33, but I was let down in a basket. I was humiliated, he went, He's in other ways he's saying this. I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from His hands, all the things he endured as a real apostle, as a real leader, as a real pastor, as a real church planter, all the things that he endured. Then, verse 1 of chapter 12 it's doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ. Who fourteen years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise, and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities, For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. The men in the church in Corinth were corrupting the believers there, no doubt, claimed to have special visions and revelations. It was one of the ways they tried to prove themselves to the church. How, what kind of authority do they have? What, what kind of standing do they have? Why should they be listened to? No doubt they were giving these revelations, these visions, and using them in their own minds, making them up uh, as proof that they were who they were. The Judaizers, those that, were, that some people named these false teachers the Judaizers, those that were wanting to bring the Corinthians back under some legalistic uh, authority, were anxious to receive honor, and they boasted, we've already learned back in chapter 3, with letters of commendation. Paul would say, I don't, do I need a, you guys don't know me? I don't need a letter of commendation. Remember what he said? You are my letter. You are epistle of Christ. You're my letter of commendation. I don't need to bring some letter of recommendation to you. But they were presenting them. They were giving them. And Paul wasn't looking for honor from men. He let God honor him and use him in incredible ways. And when challenged, he could have easily pointed to all of the things that he went through and know that they really couldn't be any defense. I mean, uh, as, as they're saying, as the false teachers are saying all these things, you know, if somebody comes and says, well, I had this revelation, it's really hard, you know, to say, well, you didn't have any experience with the Lord. I mean, When somebody comes and gives these subjective things to substantiate uh, who they are and what they say, it's hard to argue with them. I don't know if you've ever met anyone, but, you know, I had this great revelation. It's, you can't just go, well, you didn't have that. You don't know what they had. You don't know what they experienced. That's why, what do we do? We take everything, all subjective things, anybody's opinions, and what do we need to do with them? We need to test them by the Word of God. That's not subjective. Uh, certainly, you may have had an experience or, or some vision. I'm not going to argue you out of it. It could have even been from the Lord. But what we need to do is take what you experienced and examine it from the Scriptures, so it's, it's fruitless to, to argue with someone and go, well, you didn't have that experience. How do you know? You don't know what they did. You don't know what they experienced. It's better to say, well, what happened to you? And what did you experience? And let's find out what the word of God has to say about it. And let's both submit ourselves to the objective word of God, not to the subjectiveness of visions. But here Paul is saying, if they're going to talk about visions, I've just shared with you my spiritual resume. Let me tell you about a man that I know. And I find it interesting, don't you, that he talks in the third person. It's so hard for him to express what he personally experienced. That He says, it's doubtless, verse 1, not profitable for me to boast. But I'm going to talk about now, not the things that I experienced that were hard. Let me give you something I experienced that was awesome and incredible. And unlike anything I've ever experienced in my entire life, let's talk about visions and revelations. Now, before we move on with Paul's vision in Revelation, let's just be clear that God does use visions and revelations. It's all throughout the New Testament. If you're a note taker, let me walk you down a path. There, there are many, many revelations and visions mentioned in the scriptures. If you want to go speed turning your pages with me, Go for it, but I'm going to read them for you. I'm just going to give you the verse and what the vision was. For example, Matthew chapter 17, verse 9, Jesus was transfigured and it was a vision. Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 23, Zechariah received an angelic vision. Luke 24, verses 23 through 24, the women who came to the tomb had a vision. Acts chapter 7, verse 55, Stephen had a vision. Acts chapter 9, Paul received, Saul of Tarsus received a revelation of Jesus on the road to Damascus. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Ananias received a vision to do what? Go to that guy named Saul. He's going to be named Paul because he knows. And, and the thing about the Acts chapter 9 vision that really is, in, is really cool, it's very precise. Ananias, I want you to go to Saul. He's waiting for a guy named Ananias. So precise. So when he comes up and he says, hey, my name's Ananias. Saul goes, it's from the Lord. Here he is. Amazing. I love that. Acts chapter 10, verse 17, Peter had a vision of the clean and unclean animals to teach him a lesson when he was kind of going to sleep and in an in a altered state of consciousness between being awake and asleep. He got the vision of, hey, what God has called clean, don't you call unclean. Wow. I love what in Acts chapter 12, Peter had another vision of an angel when he got broken out of prison. Acts chapter 16, Paul had a vision from a man from Macedonia. What did he ask? We need some help. Come and help us. And Paul went over there and planted a church. Amazing things. Acts chapter 18, verse 9, uh, Paul had a vision while he was in Corinth. Acts chapter 27, verse 23, Paul had a vision of an angel when he was on the ship there at the end of Acts. And of of course, John had that glorious revelation in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 of the unfolding of the end times. And that's just a very small section of the New Testament of visions and revelations. So it's not unusual. And you asked, can God speak to me today through a vision and Revelation? He certainly can. But let me warn you. The vision and revelation will not be outside of what has been received in the word of God. God is not adding to the scripture. He's not leading you to add to the scripture. It, it's If your vision contradicts the scripture, like for example, a very large cult came, uh, has come to be because the, the, the guy said that he got a vision from an angel. You know, You can get wrong visions. You can eat pizza before you go to bed. And you can get all kinds of crazy things uh, in the middle of the night. And so the Bible is once for all delivered. The faith, the Bible says, is once for all delivered to the saints. And so we take our visions and we yield them to the scriptures. Now here's the key. What Paul's describing here in the first six verses is a visit to heaven. This is the only example we have in the scriptures of someone going to heaven and coming back and talking about it. And I want you to pay close attention to what he said and what he didn't say. Paul says, I know a man in Christ 14 years ago describing this experience in the third person, giving insight on something that was glorious, but not willing to brag or boast. And by the way, in the rabbinic teaching, in the rabbinic teaching style, it would not be unusual for the rabbis to speak in the third person. So, this could be, is he just walking through writing to the Gentiles in Corinth, just like picking up his training as a rabbi, speaking in the third person to take the attention off of himself? Because he's already on this flow of bragging. About 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, he says in verse 2, I don't know, but God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. The big question is, where did this happen? And if you do the math, there's many different uh, suggestions of where this happened. Was it during his time alone when he was in Syria and Cilicia, which you read in Galatians chapter 1? That's a possibility. Was it during his time in Antioch in Acts chapter 13? And you can look those up, verses 1 through 3. Or was it during his stoning at Lystra? Uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 19. Of those three options, looking at the time frame and the years, I fall toward the latter, the last one, where he was taken up for dead and that stoning in Lystra. That during this time, most likely, I think, and it could have been a a time that wasn't even mentioned in the Scriptures, um, we don't know for sure. But as you put the pieces together, most likely he was at Lystra. But it really, the reality of where and when isn't as important because we know it was 14 years ago from the time when he wrote, so we know that time frame. The real issue is he was caught up into the third heaven. He had a heavenly glimpse, a heavenly visitation. The third heaven. Again, something that's been misunderstood. Uh, some have used this verse to say that there are special compartments or, or places in heaven, and the better you are, the better hookup you get in heaven. You know, the better condo. You know, whether you get a rental, whether you get a condo or a mansion, and and I, I make light of that, but it's really no small thing. Paul usually is using the terminology of the day. Even including our day, as we refer to different heavens. Not, not that if you, you know, if you get saved later in life, you just barely get into the first heaven, you know. And then if you get saved and do some good works, you get into the second heaven. But I mean, if you really pay the price, you might make it into the third heaven. That's not what he's saying here. He's using terminology. We use the same terminology today. We, we may not call it the heavens, although I think we do to some degree. But the, of the three heavens, think of it this way. The first heaven would be the sky and the clouds. And the, we usually call the first heaven, what we call today is the atmosphere. We call the first heaven the atmosphere today. The skies, the cloud, you look up into the clouds, you go, oh, it's so heavenly. The second heaven would then refer to the stars and the planets and what we would call outer space. So you got the atmosphere, outer space. Then the third heaven would refer to, biblically, where God dwells, the heavenly scene. Paul refers to it not just as the third heaven, but he says later in verse 4, you'll notice, you can cross-reference it, he refers to the third heaven as paradise, the place where God is, a direct reference not only to Genesis going backwards, but also to Revelation going forward, a word picture that's referring to an enclosed, you know, of the original language of the day, in the Greek, it's referred to a, a luxurious, enclosed garden of a king, I mean, a place that was just very special, that biblically and spiritually would refer to the very presence of God. And it was here in the presence of God that Paul heard inexpressible words that were not lawful for a man to utter. Did you see that in verse four? He heard inexpressible words that he couldn't repeat. Paul, when he returns from his heavenly vision, tells no one. He tells no one. Not for 14 years did he even share this much that he went and heard something that he couldn't tell. So another question that comes up is in verse 4, what did Paul hear? Now this is a quiz. This is a quiz to see if you've been with me for a while. What did Paul hear? What 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 exact words did he hear? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. So anybody that comes along and says, "I know what Paul said." Come on, man. Read your Bible. Read you, well, I got a vision of what Paul said. Well, Paul said, it's unlawful. I don't know who gave you the vision, but it wasn't what Paul said because Paul said that the words that he heard in heaven were unlawful, what he saw and what he experienced were unlawful, inexpressible. Because of Paul's experience inspired of the Holy Spirit, I have to say that personally, my, my personal walk with the Lord, I'm very, very skeptical of those that have said they've gone to heaven and come back and have given us a long explanation of what they've seen and heard. I'm a little skeptical based on the scriptures. It seems that the most popular of those people seem to come back with a story to tell, a book to sell, a movie to promote, and some ministry event to sell tickets to. We have an example of a man that has gone to heaven And what he saw was inexpressible and not repeatable, and he chose to stay in that realm. What he saw was inexpressible, not repeatable. And I know that some of you may even hold to a different opinion, and you're not as skeptical as I am, but when I look at the scriptures, I see of even the the apostle who was given this special revelation chose to obey God and not say anything about it. And I know the guys that write the books and I make the movies, they don't answer to me, and I don't want them to answer to me. They answer to the Lord. But I know for me personally, I want to get my information on heaven from God himself. I want to learn about heaven from God's perspective. I don't want to take my chances of someone that is writing extra biblical views of heaven. And by the way, for those of you that have looked into some of them, if you will look closely enough, you have contradicting type of things being shared. So which one do you believe? Which one is which one's the one that went up there? Which the ones is the one that saw? For me, the safest place for me in my station in life, and I've always been skeptical of these things, but even more so now, where many of my very precious loved ones are in heaven, awaiting for me, awaiting me. I, I want to get my information. I want to get it from the Lord. And if He says there's things inexpressible, then I don't want to know about them. I want to have this hope. I want to have this ex- highly expectation to see Jesus. And so I don't stand in judgment on those folks that they stand or fall before the Lord. But the big question remains, the big question remains if Paul, couldn't, if Paul couldn't repeat what he saw and what he heard, then how can others get that permission? So in Corinth, the false teachers weren't so successful in destroying the ministry at Corinth you know, if they weren't making any progress, if they weren't so successful, then Paul probably would have never shared even what he did about this particular event. And he just gives enough. He says, hey, you know what? I've been through this, 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 and this. I went through this stoning and this shipwreck. These guys beat me up. My own people turned my back. I've been betrayed. My friends have turned on me on and on. We went through that in last time, my spiritual resume. Besides all that, I eat and drink and sleep the church. I live my life for the church. That's all I think about is how I can serve God in the church. Oh, and by the way, I had this vision too. I know that you're, those guys are talking a lot about visions, but man, if, if the vision of all visions I received, I went to heaven. Well, you know, not me. I know a man. 14 years ago, I went to heaven. But man, what I saw and what I heard, it, it's, it, God said no. It's unlawful for me to share of that heavenly scene. And I'm, he says at the end there, he says, man, I just don't want to boast. I don't want to boast. That guy I'll boast about, but myself, I'm just going to tell you about my weaknesses and my difficulties. What makes me a stronger follower of Jesus.
1: Thanks for listening today to Abounding Grace, as Pastor Ed Taylor brought part one of Paul's visit to heaven. Now, Pastor Ed, as you mentioned, Paul didn't tell us what he saw when he visited heaven, but throughout the Bible, we are given some details, a glimpse, if you will. As we close, would you take a couple of minutes to share with our listeners
0: some of the things that we do know about our heavenly home? Larry, you know, in the heart of every true believer is the desire to be with the Lord. And the greatest thing about heaven is that is where Jesus Christ dwells. Did you know that the word heaven is mentioned about 275 times in the New Testament? And it is the hope of the believer. The blessed hope is the soon return of Jesus Christ will usher in the heavenly hope of being in his presence forevermore. And John himself was able to tell us all about what heaven looked like in Revelation chapter 21, um, that heaven, the new earth, has the glory of God, the very presence of God, that he is himself the light. Uh, Heaven's filled with the brilliance of costly stones and crystal clear jasper. It has 12 gates, 12 foundations. The paradise of the Garden of Eden is restored. The river of water of life flows freely freely. Uh, it's amazing. You know, the, heaven's also a place of no mores. There'll be no more tears, no more pain, there'll be no more sorrow, there'll be no more separation, there'll be no more death, and the best thing about heaven is the presence of the Lord. And just to me, of all of these beautiful pictures and this, the brilliance and beauty of heaven, just below Jesus Christ... Because he is the greatest. That is the best, absolute best thing about heaven is Jesus Christ. But I have to tell you, Larry, just below is my hope and expectation to be reunited with my son, Eddie, who is there along with my mom and dad and so many others uh, that we love in Christ that have gone on to heaven before us. And I just know many are listening in that are also have That joy. There's, you know, heaven's filled with all kinds of stuff, but man, we're going to be in rapture with Jesus and we're going to be reunited with those that have died in Christ before us. And Eddie, my dad, my mom, and so many others, so looking forward to that reunion. And heaven's going to be a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. And we look forward to it. Thanks, Larry. It sure is exciting to think about
1: all that God has in store for believers in Christ. If you'd like to hear this message again, visit our new website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can subscribe to the Abounding Grace podcast there, too, at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also offer an app, which is another great way to listen to Pastor Ed. Just search for Calvary Aurora. Each month, we pick out a book that we think can really help your walk with the Lord. And here in October, it's The Third Option by Miles McPherson. It's not hard to see that racial tension is high in America today. And maybe you're wondering, is there hope for a racially divided nation? I'm glad to say there is. In the third option, Pastor Miles shares what that is and encourages the reader to rise above the issues that divide us and be part of something bigger you'll also be challenged to fully embrace God's goodness and power. To get a copy of The Third Option for a donation of $25 or more, just call us at 877-30-GRACE. That number again, 877-30-GRACE. And we also want to remind you that we are listener-supported. Abounding Grace airs all across the nation on stations like this one. But in order to do this, we look to our listeners to help cover the costs. You can now make a secure donation at our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. Just click on Donate, or if you'd rather call, here's the number, 877-30-GRACE. Join us next time as we study through 2 Corinthians with Pastor Ed Taylor and learn of God's abounding grace.